The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. May that be our prayer as we listen to God's Word again this evening. Uh, you'll see that we have two, two passages for this evening's preaching. If we consider the second law, our second table of the law, we're looking at Exodus chapter 20 and then also... Uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. Exodus chapter 20, 12 through 17 says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then over to Matthew chapter 22 and verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22. beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen. Let's follow the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his blessing. O Lord, God of glory and light, please come to us again, we pray, and shine upon us this evening. Bless us as we look into your word. We ask, O Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit again, and work in our hearts and in our minds and guide us into all of your truth, Father, that we might believe and that we might walk rightly before you. For we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this evening we we conclude that the Ten Commandments, uh, perhaps it feels like we've moved through them too quickly. I wasn't here last Lord's Day evening, but I did listen to Pastor Hall's sermon And I appreciated the sentiment expressed in the introduction. Namely, we might feel like, why not stay here longer? Why not camp out at the foot of Mount Sinai for a bit of an extended stay, uh, as it were? If that's your sentiment, I would uh, commend you for that. That's a good and godly one, assuming, of course, we're we're receiving the law in a gospel-centered, Christ-centered way, as we must. But let me encourage us by reminding us that the law given at Sinai, as the people did camp there for that entire year, was not simply the Ten Commandments. We'll see it all the way through the book of Exodus and all the way to the end of the book of Leviticus as well. A lot of words were were delivered there, but these particular ten words, the Ten Commandments, are extremely important. Remember, engraved uh, by the engraved on tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, the Bible tells us. In fact, let me say this by way of application for all of us. 
maybe particularly for the children here this evening. Every Christian ought to know and and to be able to name the Ten Commandments, if not every word and all all, all detail, at least the basic commandments. So for the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and so forth. Uh, when I was in Africa in our church in Karamoja, we were trying to encourage just a, a better awareness uh, a knowledge of the, the law of God. And so for, we went through a phase where we would begin every single Sunday uh, morning Sunday school by just going through the Ten Commandments and trying to encourage every uh, member of the, of the church to memorize them. And we'd give them an opportunity to stand up and try to recite them. I wonder if we can recite all of the Ten Commandments together this evening particularly the children. Can we say them together? What is the first commandment? You shall what? You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, second commandment. Come on, a little more enthusiasm. You shall not what? Not make for yourself a graved image, carved image. What's the third? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Good. What's the fourth? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, now we're going to the, the second table. What's the fifth? Honor your father and your mother. Good. The sixth? You shall not murder. Seventh? You shall not commit adultery. The eighth? You shall not steal. You see in, Karam- in Karamajong, six through eight and ten, they were all just single words, so it was pretty easy to memorize. Nyar, don't, thou shalt not kill. Or do not steal. Well, what's the ninth commandment? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Tenth commandment. You shall not covet. Well done, children. Know them. Memorize them. Learn them. By God's grace, learn to obey them. The the Ten Commandments, they, they provide such a helpful paradigm. We'll return to them really again and again. We ought to, even as we consider further God's law in the book of Exodus. We can argue that what we see is really just a fleshing out in greater detail the principles here in these very important ten words. And of course, as, as children of the new covenant, we have even greater understanding of their importance. We live in that day in which the Spirit has been poured out in even greater measure by the crucified and risen Christ and so don't worry, we won't leave the law behind us at Mount Sinai. We, we carry it with us, engraved upon our hearts, as it were, written on our hearts by the Spirit of God, the finger of God. Let's keep that in mind as we consider these words of our text this evening, two texts this evening. We're considering the second table of the law, which reveals our duty towards our fellow man, and we're doing so particularly in light of our words Uh, The words of our Lord are uh, his wonderful summary of this. So our message this evening is simply that, that Jesus teaches us about the second table of the law, our duty towards our fellow man. And based on his words, I have three main points about the second table of the law. We'll note that it is the order, it's secondary in order to the first, yet secondly, that it is inseparably connected to the first table And then lastly, we'll note that it shares with the first that essential component, which is love. So consider first, first point then, secondary. Notice the order here, secondary 
in order. I'll be brief on this point. It might strike you as something of a simple point. Duh, there's a first table, there's a second table, but this was not arbitrary. This is important to remember. The first table precedes the second. Duty to God precedes duty to man. God always comes first. God always comes first. And we see that even in the order of the commandments given at at Sinai, we saw it so well last week. It begins with God. No other gods but me. I, the Lord, I alone am to be worshipped. There's the first commandment. And only by the means which I command, second commandment. And my name is to be honored above all and in all things. There's the third commandment. And my day is to be remembered and kept holy. There's the fourth commandment. That's all review of last week, right? But it reminds us that, that God, his worship, his name, his Sabbath, he himself comes first. God is always first, as the hymn says, thou and thou only first, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure, thou art. And that primacy of God and our duty towards him first comes out particularly clearly, I think, in in our Lord's words, the summary of Matthew's gospel as he takes these two tables of the law and breaks them down into that wonderful summary. In fact, on one level, it seems that on this particular point, the Pharisees were not wrong. and They they were plenty wrong. Their question was ill-motivated, as we shall see. But Jesus seems to grant the premise of the question, which is the great commandment in the law. According to our Lord, there was, in fact, a, a commandment which could be called the great commandment. It was the summary, the summary of the first table as reflected in those, those words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which he cites. We call it the Shema because the Hebrew word Shema is, is, is found there. Shema, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. Note well that what the Shema did not say and what our Lord did not say say. He did not say, love your neighbor with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and secondly, love the the Lord your God as yourself. Of course not. And we know that that that, that supreme, unrivaled love, that, that total devotion, which is worshipful devotion, this is really worship language there, that is to be reserved for God alone. Think about it. No, no man, no human could ever demand such devotion. No man save one, the God-man, the Messiah. Sort of a, a side note, but, but the, here the one that gives the law, Jesus himself, is the one who does demand such devotion. It really is a wonderful uh, demonstration, proof of his deity. This is indeed God. And this illustrates this God-first principle Uh, Christ himself calls us to a love for and a devotion to him which is incomparable with and which far exceeds any love we could ever have for any mere human relation. And so I think good illustration of this principle is the, the words of Christ we see in Luke 14 where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate. Hate, of course, as, as, as by comparison, right? That's part of the idea there is that, that the hate can mean to love 
less. It's sort of a, a Semitic expression. But part of receiving the law, part of receiving the law in a, a Christ-centered way is, is remembering the way it points to his glorious supremacy as, as God the Son. And that is a great illustration of the truth. God is first. So there's an order to the commandments, an order to the two tables of the law. But that, that, that does not detract from, that only serves to enhance our duty to our fellow man. It brings us to our second point about the second table of the law. Secondary in order, yet inseparably connected to the first table. So back to the words of our Lord. Yes, there's a, a primacy of the first, but Jesus does not wedge, uh, does, does not put a wedge between the two tables. What does he say? And a second is like it. And so there's a connection here. In fact, it's interesting. You may recall Luke's gospel, the way it records what seems to be another occasion. But I want us to think about what Luke writes. If you want to turn in your Bibles and see this yourselves in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. A couple reasons why this passage is very helpful on this particular point. Luke chapter 10, 25 and following is where we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're not going to look at the parable itself this evening, but we could because it really is something of a, an exposition of the second table of the law. But remember the encounter in which our Lord taught that parable. Look at Luke chapter 10 and beginning in verse 25. We see these words. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now note this. This illustrates the inseparable connectedness, if you will, of the two tables of the law. Here there's no first and second. They're just sort of joined together as one commandment. Verse 27 says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Those are actually the words of the lawyer there, but Jesus affirms them as correct in verse 28. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, this lawyer was no different than the the Pharisees in, in, in Matthew 28 in that he thought too highly of himself. He went on to try to justify himself, hence the question, and who is my neighbor, and hence our Lord's parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But it's interesting that he seemed to rightly understand that there was this fundamental unity, this connectedness of all of God's commandments. See, part of the problem of the Pharisees was that they, they thought that they could ignore some of the commandments while keeping the commandments which they deemed more important. In a sense, I can love my God, maybe it's not so important if I love my neighbor. Uh, they made a distinction that could not be made. It, it amounted to a gross abuse of the, the, the primacy of the first table principle. In this regard, the, the, the question, which is the greatest commandment, was really sinfully motivated. A great uh, example that might come to mind pertains to the fifth commandment, the first commandment of the second table. Honor your father and your mother, remember how Jesus rebuked them in Matthew chapter 15 for breaking that commandment for the sake of their tradition. Their tradition basically said it's okay to neglect one's duty to their parents for the sake of a higher duty 
to God, right? They thought that they could say to their parents, what you would have gained is given as a gift to God. So they failed to see what we're saying in this point. The second table is inseparably joined to the first. The commandments are bound together, as Jesus says in our text, on these two commandments. They hang together, and these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. By way of, I think, a powerful illustration, I'll never forget the time when I was in seminary years ago, almost 25 years ago, my professor, Dr. John Frame, showed us something that had never occurred to me, I'm sure it's probably occurred to all of you, you're farther along than I was at that point, but he pointed out that when you break any single one of the Ten Commandments, you break all of the commandments. Have you ever thought of the law that way? In a sense, it wasn't so new and profound or should not have been because that's really essentially what James says in James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But Dr. Frame walked through the Ten Commandments and showed us how that was true one by one. I'm going to do that for you now quickly. Hold on to your hats. Here we go. Some of these are uh, Dr. Frame's insights. I'm even going to share a few quotes from his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. Some of these are my own thoughts. Think about the first commandment. The, the, the other gods really include anything which would compete with God for our ultimate loyalty. Well, any sin is disloyalty to God, and any sin, the breaking of any commandment, violates the first commandment. What about the second commandment? We know that in Scripture the concept of worship is a broad ethical concept. Think of Romans chapter 12. God wants us to worship him by the way we live our life, all of life, and he wants us to do so by the means he has prescribed by following his commandments. Sin always involves following our own purposes, purposes of our own devising instead of his. Any sin, then, is false worship, amount, amounts to worshiping graven images, as it were. Third commandment, I think very clear, God is God's people. His name is upon us. Anytime we sin, anytime we break any commandment, we're taking his name in vain. Fourth commandment requires a godly use of our entire calendar. Anytime we sin, we're misusing God's time. We're, we're, we're violating the fourth commandment. Fifth commandment, that involves submission, not just to appearance, but to all authority. Of course, that includes God's authority. So any violation, any sin, any breaking of any of the commandments, in that way, breaks the fifth commandment. What about the sixth commandment? Here, I think Frame rightly points out the way Jesus interprets the sixth commandment to prohibit unrighteous anger, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, because of its disrespect for life. Genesis 9, 6 relates this principle to respect for man as God's image. Since all sin manifests, manifests such disrespect for life, and for God's image, it violates the sixth commandment. What about the seventh commandment? Here, Frame writes, adultery is frequently used in Scripture as a metaphor, indeed more than a metaphor, for idolatry. Israel is pictured as the Lord's unfaithful wife. 
the marriage figure is a prominent biblical description of the covenant order breaking the covenant at any point, that means any sin, any violation, is spiritual adultery. What about the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Well, withholding what is due to God, such as tithes and offerings, that's stealing, isn't it? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, all sin is stealing by failing to give unto God the honor, the glory due to him. What about the Ninth Commandment? Frame rightly points out that that witnessing in Scripture is something you are more than something you do. It involves not only speech, but actions as well. And every sin amounts to a, a form of bearing false witness. Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. Well, that's just just really violating the Eighth Commandment, stealing in our hearts. And the Tenth Commandment is a reminder that that the obedience which God requires for his law is obedience from the heart. As Frame writes, sinful acts are the product of the selfish heart. This commandment speaks against the root of sin and therefore against all sin. Isn't that true? Every sin you commit is a violation of the Tenth Commandment. In fact, every sin you commit is a violation of every single one of the commandments. There it is. How does that make you feel about yourselves this evening, brothers and sisters? To think that every sin you commit is tantamount to taking the the two tables of the law and standing at the foot of Sinai and throwing them to the ground and dashing them into pieces and trampling all over every one of God's holy commandments. How does it make you feel? I hope that it makes you thankful for your Savior. I hope that it makes you see your need of Christ. And I think our, uh, our, the portion in the confession we confess together this evening helps us to see that so well. If you want to look at it in the bulletin there, note the language down in the fifth line Part of the great usefulness of the law is that it, it helps us, note the language there, helps us to discover the sinful pollutions of our nature, hearts, and lives. It shows us how utterly sinful we are. It moves us to say with the Apostle Paul, what a wretched man that I am. Brings us low and unto, as it says in the next line, further conviction of, humiliation for, and hatred against Sin, But note this. This It's so important what it says there. It says, together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. I think that's so important. Just note that well this evening, brothers and sisters. Two things the Lord wants us to see more clearly as we stand at the foot of Mount Sinai and we hear the commandments. Your need of Christ, our need of Christ is, and of the perfect obedience of Christ, his perfect obedience of every one of the commandments, from the least to the greatest. Be reminded that without Christ, Sinai is a mountain filled with nothing but but hopeless gloom and despair, bondage, condemnation, death. But but we look to, to, to Mount Sinai, and it drives us to Christ. And if that's true, then what do we see? We see a mountain of his righteousness greater than Sinai, mounting all the way up to the heavens from his birth all the way to the cross where his perfect obedience culminated. Even as he bore the curse of Sinai, Jesus kept every one of these commandments. 
And so we see that righteousness. We, we see that, that he did so in order to provide for us the righteousness we need, forgiveness and righteousness, as he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he loved his neighbor. He loved you. And he loved me. And it's that love, that, 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 that is what compels us and constrains us. Think on that as we come to our last point then about the second table of the law, which is just that, love, that it shares with the first, that essential component, love. Love, that's what the law says. Love your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus teaches us. That's what the second commandment or the second table of the law is all about, love. Our Lord has loved us. He's loved us, and in loving us, he has taught us what true love is about. By giving us his his law, by giving us the commandments, true love does not ignore, it does not set aside the commandments of God, not at all. The Son abided in the love of the Father by keeping his commandments, and we abide in that same love as we keep the commandments of Christ. That's what Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Isn't that beautiful? See, for us, we who are in Christ know that the first and second tables of law are not to be wedged apart. They're bound together, bound together in his perfect love, love for God, love for man. Jesus loved the Father perfectly as he, as he loved us perfectly. And by his spirit, it's that same love that constrains us to keep the commandments, the second table as well as the first. Think about them again. What's the first? What's the fifth commandment, children? Honor father and mother. What, what a perfect transition. Or, uh, honor your father and mother. What a perfect transition from the first to the second table. We've focused on God, and then it begins with authority, submission to authority. But why do we honor our father and mother? We'll leave for a moment that special promise that's attached to that. I want to return to that. But, 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 but why should we obey our, why should you obey your parents in the Lord? Why do we honor all authorities, not only parents, employers, civil magistrate, without grumbling, without complaining, without being those given sinfully to, to, to use our tongues and to speak evil about them? Why do we do so? Because Jesus honored that authority over him. Jesus went to the cross, not grumbling, not complaining, honoring the Father, loving the Father as he loved us. And in Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, we are constrained by the love of Christ. We understand that those authorities over us are placed over us for our good by a kind, loving, heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. The sixth commandment, what is it? You shall not murder, right? Why should we not murder? Indeed, why, why ought we to put off all murderous conduct, including all angry actions, words, and even thoughts? 
Why should we be a people? A people with a high regard for human life, even, yes, the life of the unborn. Because we were created by God in the image of God. Created to love God as those loved by God. And because out of great love, love for his fallen divine image bearers, our Savior came not to take away life, but to give life, to give his own life in order that we might have eternal life. The seventh commandment. Apostle Paul links this one to love so wonderfully for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Why is it that, that sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among us, Ephesians 5.3? Because of love, because of Christ's love. One verse earlier, Ephesians 5.2, Paul writes, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why? Why sexual purity? Because of Christ's pure sacrifice, because of Christ's pure love. Brothers and sisters, let that love constrain you as you learn to control your body, constraining those ungodly passions. Men, when you're, you're tempted to let your eyes wander and go places where you know that they ought not to go, to, to look upon a woman with lust, will you not remember, will you not be constrained by the love of Christ, whether you're out and about or, or even wandering the internet? Would you look upon, look with lust upon one whom Christ so loves? And for all you know, you're looking upon one of God's elect, one for whom Christ shed his precious Blood, let his love constrain you to put that sin and every sin to death. Replace it with love. Will, will the love of Christ move you unto obedience to the eighth commandment? Christ's command through his apostle. Think about that one. Ephesians 4.28, the command is not only to stop stealing, but do the opposite, right? Work with your hands in order to be able to give generosity Giving. Why? Because there again, in, in, in love, Christ gave. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And the ninth commandment, does the love of Christ constrain you to rid yourself of any bearing of false witness against your neighbor and even of speaking the truth in an unloving way? We can do great damage by speaking the truth in a wrong way, speaking the truth in an unseasonable way, you using our tongues in a way that serves to tear down our neighbor rather than build them up. And just think about this. You have in Christ, you have a Savior who knows everything about you, right? He's got all the dirt on you. And what does he do? What does he do with that? Does he rush into court to bear, bear witness against you, testify against you? No, he does the opposite. He intercedes. He's your advocate before the Father. He stands not to magnify your sins, but to, to cover them over with his precious blood. As the hymn says, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me, forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. 
nor let that ransomed sinner die. That's what Christ does for you and for me in love. Brothers and sisters, may may that love indeed constrain us, move us, heart and soul, to say with the hymn writer, Arise, my soul, arise. Yes, let us shake off our guilty fears and let us go forth in obedience to to the commandments of the second table of the law, loving our neighbors. Christ has loved us from the heart. There's the 10th commandment, right? From the heart. That's what the 10th commandment is all about. You're not to, not only are you not to covet your neighbor's possessions, but you're not to be jealous. You're not to be envious. More than that, you are to desire what is good, desire the best for your neighbor. Why? Because Christ has not only given you the very best, but he genuinely desires the very best for you. He loves you from the heart, and he desires and he calls and he commands you to to lay hold of the best by loving him and by keeping his commandments, loving your neighbor. And in doing so, he, he desires that you would be laying hold of your inheritance. Think back to the fifth commandment. I skipped over that special promise attached to that. I want to conclude with that because I think that that special promise goes so nicely with the last commandment, the 10th commandment. We are, we are desi- to desire the best for our neighbor because God desires the very best for us. Why does he want you to honor your father and your mother? So that it will go well, right? So that you will live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That was the promise we know. In fact, we confessed earlier in our affirmation of faith, this as well. We know that there are certain blessings that are attached to obedience that come with obeying the commandments of God. But that promise, that promise goes far beyond any temporal, earthly blessings. It certainly points well beyond those, the blessings which Israel experienced in the land of their inheritance, the land of Canaan. It points us ultimately to that, that home in heaven, to that place where our Savior has gone to prepare a a home for us. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to something marvelous, something wonderful, something infinitely greater, even than camping out at the foot of Sinai. He's called us heavenward in Christ. He's called us to a great heavenly mountain land above. There's our hope. There's our inheritance. There is our great reward, and it's all the fruit of Christ's finished work. It's his reward given to us by grace. And there we shall not leave his commandments behind us. We'll delight in keeping them perfectly forever and ever, keeping his commandments as we abide in his love in glory forever and ever. How shall we then live? Well, let us lay hold of it now by abiding in him, abiding in his love and keeping his commandments to love one another. May God help us do it. Let's pray together. We bless you, O Lord. You have revealed this love and that Christ laid down his life for us. We love you because you indeed have first loved us. And what a wonderful love it is. It reaches up to the heavens. How could we not respond, O Lord God, by loving you and keeping your commandments? Help us to do so. And all the more. 
work by your spirit and word. Cause us, Lord God, to grow by it in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that one who is our righteousness and our redemption, our faithful, law-fulfilling, covenant-keeping Savior. Oh, Lord, we would forsake our own righteousness and be clothed in his this evening, even as our sins are washed away in his precious blood. Help us then, O God, to abide in his love and to keep his commandments. For we ask for this in his name. Amen.